Welcome to Playmakers Impact Unleashed, your all access pass to the game changers of today and the history makers of tomorrow. I'm your host, Paul Epstein, sports industry veteran, author and speaker, founder of Purpose Labs, and your guide through an inspiring journey of courage, comeback, and transformation. Let's take a no BS look beyond the trophy cabinet to unleash every guest's impact and how they've achieved both success and significance so we can apply those same purpose-driven principles in our own lives and careers. As playmakers, let's get ready to lock arms and take action so we can all level up and make a play together. Today, we are gonna meet Greg Holmes, former head of sales for Zoom Video. And if there's one thing that I love about Greg is how deep he takes us in his leadership journey, all the way back to his earliest experiences where he formed his foundational principles of how to be a leader. And when it comes to leadership, you'll hear one of Greg's early experiences about how he was approached that you need to make a conscious choice. Do you want your team to like you or do you want your team to respect you? More on that decision and how Greg tackled it in a bit. This one got me especially fired up because I too, like Greg, have faced a similar fork in the road. And this, my friends, is a prime example as we build our Playmaker community not only in this first episode, but for every episode going forward. We are going to zoom in and extract those juicy bits from the upcoming interview in our opening and take a no BS approach and perspective so we can all level up in our own lives by applying those learnings and those insights of our guests. And so in this case, it's about like versus respect. Is it an either or? Or is it a yes and? Allow me to share my quick perspective from personal experience as I faced a similar decision that would eventually form the type of leader that I would be. So in my past, I'd been given advice to go all in on respect. I heard not to worry about likability. People will respect you if you achieve the results you're all after. And true to form, short term, the results were typically there. The challenge was, mid to long term, the results were rarely sustainable because there was no foundational relationship, no connection, no camaraderie, no trust, and we were not intentionally building culture. It was just about selling the next widget the next day, and that's it. So people inevitably felt like cogs in the wheel or pawns in the game. It most certainly was not the inspiring environment that would later allow me to build a thriving career. But I needed to hit rock bottom in some of these early chapters of my journey to learn those invaluable lessons. So what happens when you go all in on respect? Well, here's at least my take. People will respect your title, your rank, your role, your authority. But if all you do is prioritize respect over likability and relationships, what happens is they don't respect you as a person or as a leader. It's solely about your rank, role, title, authority. So they'll listen to you, but
but not because they want to. They'll do it just because you're their boss. Versus when I went against the trend at a different stage of my career, it was all about likability. It was all about relationships. And even though I had to go against the advice of many mentors because they said you shouldn't be hanging out with your team, you should be leading from above, not from within. Essentially, it was the opposite of servant leadership. It was the opposite of empathy. It was the opposite of relationships. And it didn't feel right. It didn't feel authentic. And guess what? When I eventually went all in on likability and relationships, the results were still there short term, but now they were also sustainable in the mid and long term. So the intrinsically motivated environment of purpose, of significance, of impact, check, check, check. The results were there. The recruitment of talent took care of itself. The retention of talent took care of itself. The engagement of our people and our team took care of itself. So all of these problems that many of us face in business were taken care of when I prioritized likability and relationships over respect. The best part, I didn't care if people respected my rank, role, or authority. All I cared about was did they respect me as a person? And that was the most inspiring part in my earliest days of learning how to be a leader. I hope you enjoyed this first no BS opening take in our inaugural episode of Playmakers. Big thanks to Audible.com for being a sponsor of today's show. As Playmakers, we're all about leveling up and lifelong learning. So what could be better than a free audiobook and 30-day free trial when you visit audible.playmakerspod.com? With over 200,000 titles to choose from, there is no limit to what you can explore. Perhaps, and these are just a few of my personal favorites, you want to check out The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. Consider this chicken soup for the soul of personal growth. Or maybe you dive into Grit by Angela Duckworth, where she unpacks the power of what happens when passion meets perseverance. Again, to download your free audiobook today, go to audible.playmakerspod.com. On today's show, we're interviewing Greg Holmes. And Greg, who I consider to be a dear friend, has such a fascinating background and his path to get here where he is today. Starting up as an educator, then taking a hard left turn to Silicon Valley, joining multiple high growth tech startups, including WebEx, and most recently as head of sales for Zoom Video, where he helped build the company from day one. And he's going to unpack a lot of that journey for us in this interview. What I admire most about Greg is he has harnessed the balance between success and achievement, along with cracking the code toward happiness and fulfillment being the metrics that truly matter. I can't wait for you to get this backstage pass into Greg's life and join me on this first episode of Playmakers. Greg, welcome to Playmakers. How are we doing? I'm good, Paul. Thank you. Glad to be here. Of course, of course. And it's awesome seeing you, even if it's virtually. 
to bring everybody, every one of our playmakers in. So you and I, we go back a few years and if I can recall, and I'm going to have to leave some details out for, uh, this is a PG 13 show, but all I do remember we're in Lake Tahoe. It's a really cool sales conference at the time you're head of sales from zoom. And there was a winter Olympics evening gathering team building, if you will. And I remember one of us, it might've been you was blindfolded. The other one of us had frosted donuts. And I think I need to leave that cliffhanger out there for the audience. But did I, did I give a fair description of how we met? I think so. That's, uh, I'm sure that's leaving <laughs> some great visuals in the minds of the listeners, but, uh, that is no, crazy. No. I, I can't believe that is, yeah, that is the time we met at that conference. That was crazy, but, um, definitely meant to be, man. It's been great to get to know you since then. And, um, you know, proud of the things you've been, been doing since then. So I'm excited to be here and have some time with you today. Absolutely. And the feeling is mutual. And I love we're going to unpack how you followed your passion and your purpose, of course, the climb from day one at Zoom. And so that's going to be in our future. I typically kick off and we talk journey. And one of my questions is usually around a hard left turn. But in your case, I don't know if we need to look that hard for it because while well, the end of your story, and it's still continuing, but you have this corporate career and it's sales and it's tech and it's leadership, it started as an elementary school teacher. So that's probably the best hard dirt is like, talk to us about the teacher experience and then what that leap was out of teaching into corporate. Yeah. So, you know, my, my mom was a middle school teacher. She taught in Oakland. She was a drama teacher. So I, I remember going to her drama you know, her classes, she'd take me there at times. And mm -hmm. I think being around that, I, I think also growing up, you know, I had a, a little bit of, you know, some challenges growing up, I'll say, and just remembering those teachers that stood out that really had my back. And, and I think those are influences. But I, when I graduated from uh, college, honestly, I was a political science major, and I wasn't quite sure what what I would be doing. I thought about maybe going to law school and um, I just decided to do some student teaching there in uh, Santa Barbara just to kind of feel yeah. that out. Um, that was in the back of my mind as well. And I, I just enjoyed it from the get go, just being around young minds and, you know, just the unpolished gems and, you know, the opportunity to lift them. And frankly, especially the ones I always like to spot the ones that I knew or had to feel that they are also kind of going through some challenges, maybe on the home front or wherever yeah. in their life. And you know, I just wanted to do everything I could to try to find a way to lift them up and give them an opportunity that they could try to have a better way. And uh, that sort of sparked it, got my teaching credential from there at San Francisco State. And I taught for three years. I taught second grade for the first year. I got I got run over by a bunch of second graders. I, I, <laughs> I learned quickly Literally that- and figuratively, of course. <laughs> exactly. I learned quickly that you can't be too nice to, you know, you want to be nice to kids. You want them to like you. That was- but um, I remember I got in the, the teacher, you know, lunchroom and one of the veteran teachers was like, listen, you can't smile till December. You got to be like kids. Don't, you don't need to be nice. So they don't want to you don't want them to like you. You want them to respect you. And that was that was a big lesson. Just, um, you know, they want consistency, they want structure. They want, you know, so that was kind of a big lesson for me. Then I, I, I transferred to fourth grade after that and, you know, took some of that lessons in and you know, not about being too nice to them. They just needed someone that was a great figure for them that could kind of help yeah. lead them down their paths and give them support. And so that was, um, that was huge. You know, I was, I taught for three years. We, um, my, my 
at the time, my fiance, we were close to getting married. And I felt like, you know, unfortunately, because I'd always said I wouldn't let finances change my passion for teaching. But the reality sort of hit in the Bay Area that with my wife um, not probably going to be working as we thought about having kids, I thought I got to change careers. So I actually didn't go right into tech. I'd been painting houses since I was in, that was my first job in high school. I got a painting job for four bucks an hour in ninth grade. And I did that all through high school, kind of helped me buy some classic cars and had a little yeah. money in my pocket. And I, I took it into college, did it in the summers. So I'm like, you know what, maybe I'll start a painting business. So I started a painting business called Pleasant Painters. <laughs> I got my contractor's license. You, you came up with that name, Pleasant Painters? I did, I did. All right, I, I'm foreshadowing a theme here with happiness, but keep going. Yeah, this is good. There's <laughs> a connection, it's all a circle. Um, <laughs> I did that for about a year, and that was like, what, 1999. You know, the tech boom was happening here in the Bay Area, the dot-com, if you will, a boom. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like, gosh, you know, I, went to college. I feel like this is happening all around me. I felt just some told me I needed, I feel like I should jump into this and give this a shot. And actually a teacher that I taught with, she had jumped over, she jumped over this startup that was doing virtual um, mall pages, fundraising for schools. So I jumped over to that company for about six months. And then a buddy of mine from college was at WebEx and he, um, he started yeah. pinging me. It's like, you got to get over. This company's going huge. We're going to go public. And I finally listened to him and um, ended up going and interviewing there. And that started like an 11 year run at WebEx and Cisco. And that, that then spawned my opportunity to get into Zoom. But I'll stop there. Yeah. No, no, that that's perfect. I'm glad you unpacked it. And so uh, even going back to, because I, I'm one of, and I'll, I'll just say this and most of our audience know. So I, I come from my dad, my late father, he was an educator. So I always praise the fact of how much I learned from him, from his former students, and really just how applicable the classroom can be to life at any given stage. Like in your case, you plugged in at an elementary school level, and in your words, they ran you over. And trust me, my dad would probably say the same thing, regardless of what level he taught. But I just think there's so many life lessons, and, and you touched on a few, but to bring our audience in, if you could say, you know, you talked about the balance of like and respect and if you is it a yes and or is it an either or are there other lessons that you took whether from your students from the institutional side just as an educator how can we plug into that to become better leaders better people like walk us through some key insights that you have yeah i i think you know one thing that stands out from teaching i just remember and i think a life lesson is and I, it goes back to your playmaker sports theme is just always yeah. be ready to call an audible. You know, it's, mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. in life, you know, a lot of people want to, you know, you want to prepare, you want to plan, be ready for the moment, but it's not always going to be like you, like you charted it out. Frankly, it usually, is. it usually never is. But I think people often stay too long with what they plan because, you know, I worked hard. I, I charted this out. I planned it. It's got to go this way. And you fight that, but <laughs> I, I learned quickly in teaching, like, you know, I'd see it was raining outside and I knew, okay, the kids aren't going to be able to go out for recess. They're going to be squirrely. There's no way I'm going to keep them in their seats all day in, in this classroom. So you just got to call audibles and say, all right, I got to do something today to get them on their feet, move around inside the classroom so they're not bouncing off the walls. Otherwise, it's just going to be a nightmare. Um, yeah. You know, so things like that, just that was a big lesson for me. You know, you close that door in the classroom, you got these 25 kids and, you know, it was 
it was every day was different and I always knew going in each day that all right I'll work on a lesson plan but it's likely going to pivot and I'm gonna have to be ready for it and just be creative and read the classroom so you can you know I guess read your audience be ready to adjust be ready to call audibles those are all lessons I think you take into everyday life and into leadership Um, you know it again a lot of times, like I said, people want to stick to their plan. I think that's kind of that's thinking about yourself and what you plan. Right. You got to think about your audience and what they need and what they're what are they like today. That something probably happened to them the night before that they're in a whole different mood than the day before. You got to be able to see that. If you're too stuck on your plans and what you want to kind of think the day should look like, you miss so much. So I think it's sort of be, becoming a little bit unselfish in that way to. You know, mm-hmm. if you're a whether it's a teacher or a sales leader, whatever type of leader you are leading a sports team, I, I think read the audience, read your people. That'll steer you to how the, the day should go, the month should go. How do you how do you go ahead and approach things? I think that's what it's all about. So that was that was probably one yeah, of the yeah. biggest ones. So a couple things to to feedback for all the playmakers out there. One is write your plan in dark pencil, not pen, because those audibles are inevitable. So you got to be able to pivot. And especially at a time like now where a lot of us, you know, when we reflect back, the pandemic created so many challenges and the word pivot and audible are becoming commonplace. And and now you hear things like the new normal. Well, what does that mean? And how does it apply to me? How does it apply to my family, my company, et cetera? So I, I think there's a valuable place you brought us there. The other thing is, And this is something I wish that I would hear more often. I hear it a lot on the show, but I don't hear it a lot in the world. Service. Most people, and I don't want to go as far as saying everyone's selfish. I just think we get out of bed and think, well, how's this going to impact me or the people in my house under my roof? But it's very close. We don't extend that far. So if I was to describe what you just said as you either have a service bone in your body or you don't. I believe we all get there. One of the big regrets is some people get there too late and maybe they have regrets that they didn't start the gift of service sooner. So what's the origin story for you? If you could trace back to where you got service from, like parents, upbringing, like what are those things? You mentioned some trials and tribulation in childhood. So I'd love to know the birthplace of service for you. Yeah, I think, you know, I'd mentioned earlier there were some some teachers that, you know, I'll never forget. Some coaches. I remember I had one football coach in um, JV, uh, high school JV, that, um, you know, my brother and I still talk about him today, what he did for us. My, my parents were both alcoholics that, that ended up taking their life. And so my brother had to grow up, brother and I had to grow up through that. And that was, you know, obviously, the people that have dealt with that, it was there was challenges and, you know, in some ways, you know, obviously from challenge comes opportunity and, sure. you know, you can grind and grow through it. And I think my brother and I learned to do that, but you can't do it without some help and people that at least you feel they're by your side. And I had that in some teachers. I had that in some some of my buddies' parents uh, kind of took me under their wing and some sports coaches. I think just from having that and knowing that that helped open a few more doors for me and just keep me yeah. set on a on a, on a new path and not defined by what was happening with my family, but sort of give me a little bit of cover to, to kind of find my way and find myself and, and get, get, get away from that. So I think that's where it came from. I mean, I know it's where it came from. And I think from sure. there, I just, 
there's always been that passion to, like I said, kind of help lift others. Um, you know, again, especially ones I can sense. I've, I've sort of getting that sixth sense of like, I can tell when someone's going through something. And, um, yeah. you know, I just, there's been that desire since then to always try to find a way to help. And that's why I think teaching became a big window for me. I, I knew I'd have that opportunity, especially get them when they're young, when, when they, if they, and if they are having yeah. tough times, especially. And, you know, every kid needs a, needs a hand, whether they're going through crazy challenges like that or just, they're just growing up in this world. It's, it's all challenging. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that gave me an opportunity then getting into sales leadership and just, again, a lot of times, whether they're young or older, sales reps, um, everyone's growing and evolving no matter what their age. I think, again, that was another outlet and opportunity to try to help lift and coach people to get them towards their full potential. Did you notice any like are are the lessons of leadership, whether it be an elementary school class or a massive, like at its highest moment, how many folks were you leading at, at Zoom at its peak? At its peak, uh, about a thousand. I was kind of running all of sales, uh, operations, customer care, ch- our, our channel team. So towards the end there, that was um, roughly about a thousand people. So you've got a thousand folks all in this case in an adult stage at, at a professional stage for one of the most hyper growth organizations. And this was pre-pandemic. A lot of your story is going to happen before the world understood, uh, you know, the power of Zoom and the connection to Zoom when you were, you, when you were a, a smaller growing company. But a thousand lives in your span of care is how I think of it. I don't call them reports. I say span of care. So was there any difference when you were the coach or the teacher, if you will, in a professional environment versus in a, in a younger environment with kids, like, do you feel like the same principles apply or do you feel like there's some uniqueness on how you tackled the, the gift of leadership and the privilege of leadership in both settings? Yeah, I mean, I would just kind of off the top, I think more similar that for sure than not. I'm, I'm trying to think quickly about the, the key differences. I mean, I definitely I know I had to catch myself many a times. It was so familiar to teaching, but I didn't want to, I didn't want my sales reps to feel like, oh God, he was a second grade teacher and he's comparing that to working with me. What am I, a second grader? So I had to watch that um, connection. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I think very similar. And like I said, it was all, it, it turned for me, especially after that first year of teaching and just the reminder of, you know, you got to really look at the look at your people, whether it's a student, whether it's a sales rep on your team, get to know them. I'm trying to understand yeah. them as best you can. What's what is what are their experiences been like? What are their you know, I know you're big on what's the, what's your why. That's a big, mm-hmm. big part that brought us together. But trying to find that in them. I always mm-hmm. felt like whether it was students or salespeople or anybody you're working with, players on a team, if you can understand their why and what really drove them. I felt like if you could just tap into that and get that yeah. almost like spinning like a top and you get them all spinning individually and you're working as a team, that was where the magic and the power came from because Love you could it. tap into that and get them humming because you, they, they knew you understood them. And when people mm-hmm. know that you understand them and feel that energy connection of the, you to their why, man, I feel like that that's when they run through walls for you. They'll do anything. No and doubt. So, I think, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm starting to dig to think of like the big differences. Obviously, you know, the content's a big difference yeah. of sales skills and 
you know, how do you approach, uh, you know, managing an opportunity versus teaching content at school? I think outside of that, I don't think they're very similar. I think they're, they're pretty much the same thing to me. Super similar. And yeah, this, this thing called purpose, which I spend the majority, I immerse myself in the space of purpose. And I always ask myself, and this is actually interesting. I'll just riff on this for a sec. I asked myself, so as you know, first book coming out, Power of Playing Offense, and really the thesis is all around before you lead others, you must first lead yourself. And that self-leadership, the core of it is knowing who you are, which is your purpose and your values. And so that's the space I'm in. And if you ask me what the future looks like, oh, for sure there's more books. And for sure, especially with uh, Newborn on the way, like there's kids books coming. Like I'm gonna start serving the youth. Like, dude, trust me, this is the mission. It is happening. It is the calling. But I ask myself, like, how do you explain purpose to a kid? I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> and I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, but like, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by, can you, you wouldn't call it purpose. You, you may not even call it your why, but how, how do you instill some of those things in youth? And uh, whether you want to respond to that, if not, I, I'm happy to navigate, but I, I'm just curious because I believe that if everybody understands their purpose, whether they call it that or not, that's how they can thrive. Well, no, I love the question. It's actually pertinent. I, I just went through this with uh, my family. We, since uh, leaving Zoom, uh, my wife and I, one of the first things we thought about, like we, we want to start a foundation. We want to find a way to give back and um, do something good for the world and um, include the kids in it. And so that was the, the first thing we started working with this organization to help us. And that was the first thing, like, what is the purpose? What is the purpose, your purpose? What is the purpose of foundation? And frankly, we kind of started going through the exercise. Okay, well, looking around the world, obviously tons going on with COVID impact. Black Lives Matter. I've always been passionate about environment and animals and that kind of stuff. So we're kind of going through that. But you know what? It, we finally came back to like ourselves and like, it's like that saying, you know, the answer's in the room. It's, it wasn't something out there that we had to go find. It was, it was within us, if that makes sense. I think if I could describe like what your purpose is, I think you find it within yourself in the things that you've already done in your life, the things that you migrate to. And so I always thought back, you know, one of the things that helped us establish our foundation, like little things like I used to love to do, or I still love to do when I drive over the Bay Bridge and go to pay the toll. I love to pay for the people behind me. And this was whether I had wow. hundred bucks in my bank account or more. I mean, I just always done. I just, I kind of felt like you never know what's happening in that car behind you. And you know what, maybe this will change their outlook and kind of adjust their day in a positive way and amplify that. Um, that was, then we just came back to that. Like, that's what we've always done. So stick to that. It's, it's, it's already showing itself. So I think to tell people to find their why or their purpose, I say, look at yourself and what, what are the things you've already done that kind of are showing up? It'll tell you, it'll kind of write the, write the purpose for you without feeling like it's something you got to go out and seek somewhere else. It's right there with you. So I don't know if that makes sense, but that kind of was what, what I went through. And, and um, again, it was right back to, well, what have I always loved to do? I've always loved to lift people. I've always loved to try to help give them that nudge that helps them find their full potential and give them the full opportunity. Frankly, especially people that have that energy, I can feel it, that they've got this 
green energy and they're fighting and they're going for it and they could just use a little nudge a little coaching little little lift and yeah. they're going to go do great things in the world so that kind of brought us to our purpose our foundation but yeah i think that was like i said pertinent because i just sort of went through that and had to remind yeah. myself that i don't need to go seek it out it's right here it's been what i've been doing so What's so fascinating about it, and I get asked the question all the time because a lot of folks, and not blaming anybody, I thought the same thing before I found my purpose. I thought it was this future-based, more kind of what's the mission that I seek and what can I become? So I thought it was forward-looking, and now that I coach it, literally now it's been thousands of folks, whether one-to-one or in group environments, and it's a look in the rearview mirror of life. And so we do a thing called the lifeline exercise and essentially the peaks are above, the valleys are below both. I would argue the second, like we've already heard some of your story. I could argue the second may have had a greater impact on who you are today, but certainly we respect the peaks as well. And so just to say that your why is who are you on your best day as you look back in the rear view mirror, look at the common themes that have presented themselves in your life. So if one of my core values happens to be authenticity, yeah, that's what makes me feel alive. The, my pet peeve is fakeness and superficiality. And so, but it's the same thing. And, you know, so I, I, that's just a, a quick piece to bring the audience in there. So let's take it now to, we, we've teased enough how many times you've been at Zoom. So professional journey. So you, you started WebEx, you, you're cranking it out for over a decade. Again, another tech high growth organization. You're in the thick of Silicon Valley when it's just the valley, right? And so I know there were a couple of interim years, but walk us through the transition. And I, I know there was an organization in between WebEx and Zoom, but talk to us about one jump to the next, to the next. And then the culmination of the story is you were, correct me if I'm wrong, sales employee number one in Zoom. <laughs> so that, that's the grand finale and then we'll continue. But why don't you unpack those hops from, uh, from WebEx forward? Yeah, so I, I did the WebEx run for 11 years, seven WebEx and then four after Cisco acquired. And you know, I got to that point, I felt like I'd, I'd done my thing there. It was a great journey mm-hmm. and it just felt like time to move. Ironically, that same month I left, July 2000, um, Eric Yuan, uh, yeah. Everyone knows that name now. Um, they should. Um, he left Zoom same time. And again, we we didn't talk to each other. And it, I can get into the cosmic uh, pass of myself and Eric. He um, he and I share well. I'm February 19th, 1970. He's February 20th, 1970, but in China. So technically, we were pretty oh. well born same day, which is kind of a Very crazy, cool. crazy twist of the cosmic story of, of me and him at Zoom. And Greg, real quick, I want you to continue, but just one thing, and uh, it's probably slip here. Uh, Eric, you want, uh, when you said left, left WebEx, not Zoom. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yes. <laughs> okay, cool. Just just want to just wanna bring everybody in. Eric is still at Zoom, I promise you. Continue with your story. <laughs> Blockbuster news, you heard it first. Yes, Eric, <laughs> Eric left WebEx, same time I did. I went off yeah. to another company for about a year and a half. He started building Zoom and... Um, he reached out to me over LinkedIn, asked if I'd like to go to lunch. He was looking for a head of sales. Crazy thing is I didn't see that LinkedIn message. Maybe I, you know, I was in one of those killing junk email that mornings sure. and I must have deleted it or missed it. So I didn't see the message. Um, somehow by a twist of fate, I ran into a, an employee, a woman I'd worked with at Cisco at the mall in San Jose, which I never go to, but happened to be there. 
And she's, she had seen Eric. She's like, hey, I heard Eric's trying to reach out to you. He's looking for a head of sales. I'm like, what? So I went back to my deleted items. I found the LinkedIn. I'm like, nice. I messaged him back. Oh, Eric, you still looking? And thank God he was. Obviously, we'd be talking a lot different story at this point. <laughs> but um, and funny, she just that woman just texted me about a week and a half ago. She's kind of looking for a new step in her career, and mm -hmm. so it was my opportunity to kind of help give her a little bit of um, support. So anyway, that's another story. But um, yeah, started there. Uh, there were six of us in San Jose when I started. I was the you know, I was given the job wow. of head of sales. So I was the first sales employee, as you mentioned, um, and a couple he uh, engineer leads, Eric, um, our head of uh, marketing and product and a support guy. That was kind of it. And um, wow. it was almost like the teacher, remembering being a teacher, like Eric, he, they had been renting a small little office. Uh, it was pretty close to Levi Stadium as it was being built. That was back in um, 2013. So it was just starting the, the building of the stadium. We were right down the street and um, he had been renting a small little uh, office and he rented my one right next to it for me. He's all right, here's mm -hmm. where you start your sales team. So it was like, you know, like closing the door to the classroom and then it's, you're on, you gotta make it happen. <laughs> um, I hired a couple reps pretty early, like that same month I started. We didn't have a, even have a web page when I started. Um, I started January 1st, 2013, and then we, we got the website up, I think, the 28th of that month. I hired a couple reps by that time as well, and we just started cranking, crank, cranking, hiring a couple reps at a time, and calling audibles every day, like I said, on yeah. how do you get this thing going? Nobody knows who we are. You know, I can just remember my reps calling on the phone. Yeah, this is so-and-so from Zoom, and like, what? Who? Where? Who's <laughs> Zoom? Who? <laughs> like, had no idea who we were. So it was just like trying to chisel our way into some um, recognition. Uh, took some time, but we we figured it out. Um, we figured out pretty early that education was a good spot for us to sell. Um, mm -hmm. When the product was a little immature, we weren't ready to really go head to head with WebEx, go to meeting. But education was using things like Adobe Connect, some kind of bad technology, and they were very open. The universities we started calling, we started selling some deals. And so we just stuck there for a while and just built a foundation of some great university customers and community colleges. And then the, Eric and the uh, amazing engineering team in the back were just adding features, adding function, yeah. just strengthening the, you know, the, the foundation of Zoom from day one was amazing. I could tell right away. I remember my first couple of days before I'd hired any reps, I just started calling our free users. I looked at domains where there was multiple users from the same domain. Just mm -hmm. call, started calling them like, why, why are you using Zoom outside of all these other ones you have your, your opportunity to use? And they're like, oh my God, I'm so happy. This stuff is so amazing. It's so easy to use. And they were wow. this, th that's where the happiness thing really showed up. I'm like, oh my God, these people are seriously fired up and happy about this technology. Wow. It's really taken away from the pains and frustrations of the old stuff they were using. and that's when the light bulbs went off. I go, this, I've never heard this before. I've never heard people talk here. about technology like this. So I knew there was something and, you know, we started building around that. We started building around these people are fired up. They're happy. The technology is making them that way. Let's surround that by being good people and really yeah. continue that happiness theme. And that's when the deliver happiness thing started. Eric was big on that. And, um, 
you know, that became kind of our culture theme of let's deliver happiness, not only the technology, yeah. but the way we treat people to bring them into the technology. And it became an amazing sort of one, two punch to like, you know, become dominant and start taking yeah. market share. As we take a quick break from today's interview, a reminder of gratitude for our sponsor, Audible, who is offering each and every playmaker a free audiobook and 30-day free trial when you visit audible.playmakerspod.com. If there's one thing I've seen in most successful people that I've come across, there are a few consistent habits, none greater than the daily practice of leveling up through the power of reading. Some of us like to crack a book open, while others prefer to listen in to our favorite authors narrate their written work of art. What could be better than a platform like Audible to make this habit a reality? To download your free audiobook today, go to audible.playmakerspod.com. It's time to level up. We're going to quadruple click on delivering happiness. So you recently said the silver bullet of Zoom. Yes, amazing technology and amazing user experience. That said, that alone, it can be disrupted. What's difficult to disrupt is the combination of the product being the technology and the internal mission of delivering happiness. So from Eric Yuan all the way through the organization, would love if you could bring all of our playmakers into how do you build a culture where delivering happiness aren't just words on a wall. It's the way that you live, eat, and breathe. So A, where did that come from? How did it start? And then B, how do you keep that when the organization is growing? So as you scale the organization and it goes from a company of six to 600 to 6,000, culture becomes progressively more difficult. So where does delivering happiness come from and how do you sustain it as the company grows and scales? Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's not easy, but um, I think, you know, certainly we had that unique opportunity of starting from scratch. I think if you come into a company that's got a, you know, a lot of people and there's already been a, attempted cultures, sure. that's probably another story to write because that's, I think to me, that's gotta be the hard, the biggest challenge. No doubt. Unraveling and rebuilding, but um, building from scratch and having that opportunity was certainly, um, gave us a bit of a leg up, but it was, it's starting early. So I guess if you go into a company that's established, start right away, don't wait. You got to start early of rebuilding. But in our case, we started early building um, that deliver happiness mantra. You know, again, you got to, I think to your point, you've got to take it from the words on the wall, the letters in the book um, that maybe you have people like Eric had all of us read David Shea's book, Deliver Happiness. That's what he gave to every employee when they Mm -hmm. got hired, Um, which was great. I mean, it gave that concept, but you have to go beyond that. Like it has to become day to day practice. I think we did a lot of what helped us is just showing it through actions and then highlighting those, making sure those are shared daily um you know we talked about every week in our all hands of examples of where our employees were delivering happiness so where our customers were delivering happiness you know we saw examples of it coming our way and we just started highlighting it and you know you've got to just it's got to be a daily dedication i mean it was talked about daily and um you know i think 
with that, we sort of, it just becomes more and more ingrained in you. Um, you got to hire people that you feel have that in their DNA, if you will. Um, that became a lot of our interview process. You know, as much as it was about talking about kind of your understanding of how to run an effective sales process, it was like, tell me examples in your life where you've delivered happiness. And mm -hmm. that's where we, frankly, I, I feel like I passed up a lot of sales people that crushed their numbers in all their past jobs. But I could kind of feel that, you know, you have those, sometimes you have those sales folks that they get to those numbers sometimes by breaking some big glass and like breaking some, no doubt. I think maybe breaking, breaking some lines and just not maybe doing it the right way that um, I passed on those people to find the ones that could give me those examples of, okay, this person has definitely along their path, that's been their mindset of like doing the right thing with people, caring about people around them. And so we started hiring people like that. You, you, that becomes a big part of it. They, then, it, then it's not this fabrication of culture, right? It's these people already had the nuts and bolts to make it happen. Then you just sort of do the march, put some, put some programs yeah. around it, or, you know, organize it a little bit. And then you, you, you can start running quick with that, with that. And that starts to show up quickly in culture. Because again, they're, those people that you've hired already have it ingrained in them. Yeah. And what I'll share with, with everybody listening too. So I, I've had the blessing and I truly call it that intentionally. I had the blessing of working not only with you, but partnering with Zoom's leadership team and, and the entire sales team. Uh, this goes back a few years in the sense of how do you bring delivering happiness to life? How do you make it behavioral? How do you make it action-based so that it doesn't just look like uh, just random words on a wall? And especially as Zoom was popping up in every corner of the globe, as soon as I walked out of the elevator into the lobby of your San Jose headquarters, I felt it. I can't always explain it. I later found out the answers tactically of how to do it or how you all did it, I should say, but I felt it. I felt an environment that everybody wanted to be there. And if I could try to narrow it down because this is all about making it universally applicable. So what did I see Zoom do? What did I see Eric Yuan do? What did I see you do? When I had listening sessions with your entire team, which was hundreds of folks, and I said, I asked three things. What can we, being Zoom, do more of? Where can Zoom get better? What can Zoom do different? So basically, how do we create positive change in the organization? Immediate term, midterm, long term. And you get to learn a lot about an organization because all, that second and third bucket are massive when I work with other companies in Zoom. It was a lot of do more. And the do more was, please, keep Eric as active as he is. Keep him in our all hands. I love how he mentors a new, a new onboarding employee. I love how he truly is present. And the things they said about you, the behavioral things about care and compassion and how great of a listener you were. And then Zoom, all leaders have empathy. They live through the platinum rule. Instead of golden rule of treat others as you want to be treated, they're going to treat you as you want to be treated. So there was an individuality, a choice and I know this sounds like a commercial for Zoom, but it's coming from my heart. It's coming from my heart because you guys nailed culture. And I believe that every single one of those things that I just said can apply to any leader, any team, and any organization. It is not supposed to be Zoom specific. They didn't crack the code. They just figured out what worked for them. And 
hey, elementary school to corporate office, man. These, these are all people principles. So that just wanted to share how impressed I was by your org, man. No, thank you. And I think it goes back, like I said, you know, delivering happiness doesn't mean, I mean, it can mean be nice to people. But remember the, my first year of teaching, just yeah. trying to be nice to get people like you isn't delivering happiness. Um, we would do things like, I remember Eric, you know, Eric always had the best eye for like, I remember we had one sales rep, he had like a 92 year old grandfather that had been in the war and just had this crazy story. I forget how he came up, but Eric tied into it and said, let's bring him to the next all hands. And we had this sales rep's grandfather come to our all hands and just share stories of life. And, you know, you think about what that meant to all the employees, huge, but think about the, the, the employee whose grandfather was, like that recognition that. of him as a person, his family, and how much that meant to him, how happy that made him. That was delivering happiness. Um, you know, I don't know, I don't remember a lot of companies doing it at the time. I know there was a lot of bring your child to work days, but we did bring your parents to work day. And I felt like that, I hadn't heard a lot of that. And it was like, okay, yeah. man, you should see the employees light up. I mean, obviously the parents being there and seeing what their child's doing in the workforce, um, they were happy, but their, their, their child, like having their parents be there and respect and proud of what they're doing. That like, again, those types of things, that was in more internal delivering happiness to our own employees. But then you think about what kind of things can you do with a customer that, that in mm. the same way highlights that person and who they are, what's meaningful to them. And that's, I think, where happiness was really achieved. So just a couple of examples, I like to your point, anybody can achieve this. I think it's just all about tapping into your people, finding out what drives them and, and doing things like that will deliver those moments that, you know, inspire them, deliver happiness. And that, that becomes the fire that drives your company. 100%. And if I could now flip it back to you in the sense of how have you delivered happiness in your world, I, I want to zoom in on this key inflection point because by now folks understand how in the trenches you were of Zoom. They understand the growth you experienced personally and professionally at Zoom. They understand the impact you've made on others at Zoom. And we've already alluded to the fact that you're no longer at Zoom and it was 1 million percent on your terms. And what I'd love to know is the easiest thing to do, and you didn't know, nobody knew uh, the next year or the year after that, hey, the whole world's going to go virtual and we're going to work from home. Uh, you did not know that at the time you made your decision. Nobody could have foreshadowed that. But that said, I, I'd love to take us into your decision-making thought process because the easiest thing to do would have been to stay on the treadmill that you're on because it was a growing organization. You love the people, you love the leadership, you love the culture. Whenever I fill in the blanks after that, it leads to you stay at that company as long as you can. You did the opposite. So walk us through what was behind that decision. Yeah, and I, I remember, what was it? I guess it's two years ago, come March. I had a, I talked to the whole company because what you just said is so true. I think a lot of people like say, why the heck would you leave? Why would you leave that right. amazing opportunity? And I <laughs> certainly said it to myself, but I definitely felt like I had... You know, after, I think in 2019, I just started really feeling it. I had this something calling to me that's telling me it's, it's, the, it's time. And I know you said it, you said the word treadmill. I mean, I think that's kind of what I was on in my life. I, mm -hmm. you know, 
like I said, through the challenges I had as a child, I mean, some of the things I took from that is, you know, just stay heads down, focus, get through every single day, make the best of it you can, but grind. And I just, I became a grinder in life. I was sort of heads down, probably didn't see as much as I probably could have around me, like, especially with family and uh, just grinding. And that was, but it got me through and it certainly delivered some very positive things in my life. But I could feel, I felt like I'll just keep grinding. And you know what? I got a, I got a son who's turning 18 this year. He's going to go off to college. I mean, my time with him is short. And frankly, in the past seven years, I haven't been as connected with him. I've been connected with this amazing company. It's it's been my family from my family and these thousand people that I'm working with. And um, I just feel like, and you know, my wife, we have an amazing relationship, but there would, it was taking its hits too. And I, I knew like, you know what, the life is too short and mm-hmm. you don't get this opportunity of a crossroads to be able to even d- decide whether I should take this left turn or not and leave this amazing opportunity, amazing company to go do. Um, the first driver was that family. I, I felt like, you know what, life's too short. My kids are going too fast and I'm missing time and I've got yeah. this chance. I got to take it. I got to spend more time with them. And then, you know, I think in the back of my head is I'll find other ways to deliver happiness and give back. And, you know, back of my mind was get back into teaching in some way, some form or do something. And so those those are my big drivers. And, it you know, it was it was a hard decision. It was, you know, it was hard, hardest to say, maybe, maybe the easiest in some ways, if that makes any sense, that yeah. I knew was for me was the right time, right decision um, to do so. And. You know, it's been interesting. I, I, I found through, um, you know, I talked to a lot of people who maybe been in similar positions and man, 90% of them go back to work in six months. And I've, yeah. I found that, you know, my theory is I maybe not be right, but I think, you know, a lot of times it's people say, well, I just love the grind. I love, you know, I, I missed it too much. I had sure. to go back to it. I think there's some truth to that, but I think the, the bigger truth is it's not easy when you go from, Going into a company, you got tons of respect, you're driving things daily, you leave that and you go to your household, you got to try to manage two teenagers and a 11 year old daughter and your wife and they're like, dad, you're a dork. And you're like, I'm like, no one said I was a dork at work and I, I think people are like, God, forget this, I'm going back to work. So no, I, no. I, I think it's a, it's challenging to, to go home and then sort of refine yourself and like, okay, now what do I pivot myself into from after doing this for so long and how do I still get that sort of you know adrenaline feeling of each day I think it just takes time and work you can get some from family you got to find new and creative ways to get it from other things but um yeah that's been an interesting um experience for me so far this year certainly COVID as the wrapper around it as a year to retire has you know made it even more unique I think but um yeah, so that, yeah. those were the, the, the key things that really drove me to, to make the call. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing. And it, in a nutshell, it was the treadmill is what you do, but your decision was driven by why you did it. And ultimately, while I'm sure there was a lot of thrill and high fives and bear hugs on that climb and ascension from a corporate ladder, but there was a sacrifice and there were trade-offs and it's, can I be an A plus leader in the office and an A plus leader at home? And can I be, wear all these different hats at its optimal level? And what we realized is that 
there are trade-offs. And so it's not to say your decision has to be uh, a playbook for others. It's all about if it makes sense to you and everybody in your house, then isn't that what matters? Because there's going to be other companies, but we're all trying to not have to say there, there shouldn't be another home. Like you only have one of those. And so how do you protect that? And I, I, I applaud everything you just said. So whether for the foundation, for you personally, or for your family, you can answer in any of those spectrums that you want. Just pick whichever resonates the most. What's the impact that you want to live the rest of your life toward? Well, I think the, the, the foundation, which, as I explained earlier, that ex, we kind of went through the exercise and, and came back to um, looking through the rearview mirror, as you said. And so I, I just want to continue that. that um, I, and I don't, you know, I don't, I, don't need it to, I don't need to be recognized for it. I kind of like to be low pro. I like to just, yeah. those random acts of kindness. Um, mm -hmm. Along with, I think I've sort of paralleled my life with some of that random act of kindness. I really maybe keep my distance away, but find a way to deliver some goodness to some somebody, somebody who's, like I said, good spirit, good energy, needs a lift though. Um, that, and then the parallel path of, I do enjoy that coaching and actually being with the yeah. individuals and the team. Um, I love coaching sports teams. My kids are getting older now, so I've kind of, I'm losing my avenue of doing that through them and coaching some of their sports teams and um, and teaching. So I, mm -hmm. I think I've got to now find a new avenue for that, an outlet yep. that'll allow me. But I think that combination of through random acts of identifying people that just need that lift in the world, um, and 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 then that that opportunity to get a little closer to people and do that coaching and lifting as well, all in the mind of just. I just feel like if you could lift and give that support and that coaching and help to those that can use a little bit and have that right and great energy, it just, that's what's going to amplify and bring more good, happy energy to the world. And um, yeah. it makes it a better place for, for all of us. Um, so that's the, that's the stamp I'd like to leave in a sort of big, big picture way. And just, you do it one person at a time, I guess. And, well, and in your case, one car at a time, frankly, one of the most awesome things that I've ever heard in my life. And I mean this brother from the heart. When, when you shared earlier in the conversation, how you pay the toll for some of the cars behind you, like, dude, you want to talk about acts of kindness and generosity. And while the news is going to remind you of what's going bad or wrong, like moments like that are going to impact the cars behind you with what's right in the world. You know, so I just wanted to say, man, not that you need a pat on the back for that, but like, dude, that's, that's some awesome stuff. All right. So closing out whole world is listening in and you could share one thought. What would it be? I think some good advice is don't get far too far away from today. I mean, it's great to have plans and goals and, but you know, be in the moment. Think about what 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 can you do to make that day, that moment, the best it can be. Yeah. They're all going to be different. You're going to have different challenges. You wake up every day too, but um, find a way to just. What can I do to make the best of this moment, this day, this job I have, um, this relationship I have? Versus, I think the tendency is to try to get too far ahead and what could be or what's out there. Um, and again. I don't want to say it's not. There's there's certainly value to setting targets and goals for your life sure. and yourself. But 
it kind of has to come you got to create a center and i think that center is the present and like nurture mm-hmm. the present nurture yourself nurture that day that you have today um i i think if you do that you have good intention on that that's when good things will happen to you that's when people like me will start to see and recognize yes. look at that person yes. out there they're making the best of that the day i know what they just woke up to and they're fighting through it. They're making the best of this day. It's not their best day, but it's the best of the best day they can make because of what's going on with them. And I think that's when doors open for people. That's Absolutely. how doors always open for me. And yeah, maybe I was a little heads down, but I think you still have that heads down in some way of, of today and, and fight fight through the day to make it the best it can be. I, think that's, I guess that would be my one thought. It's I think certainly relevant to, to COVID and what's going on is, yeah, these are these are gut punches, man. This is tough, and it's it's a grind, and it seems like it's you want it to go away, but it's still hanging in there. It's like you gotta just approach it every day, and uh, mm-hmm. and wake up and and find a way to, no matter what the day brings, just fight fight to be positive and, and make the best of it. And uh, again, I know it's not easy. It's easier said than done, but I think if you do that, you wake up tomorrow, you're a little better at doing it, and then the next day, yeah. and you just build that muscle of make the best of it and good things will happen i think good things present themselves that's when the the paths of life start to open up and you get that opportunity to do you know do the things that you truly want to do and be in life yeah i i love the scrappiness and i love the grand finale here where you bring us to be excited for the future while balancing purpose and gratitude in the present if you can harness that combination of things where you're stoked for tomorrow, but you're also so stoked on where you're at right now. That's the ticket. And that's what playmaking is all about. Can't thank you enough, brother. This was an awesome time. And uh, just know you're a part of the community. And and truly, man, we are, we're blessed and grateful to have heard a lot of your thoughts and insights and wisdom. So just appreciate you being on, Greg, and we'll hopefully see you very soon. No, thank you, Paul. I appreciate you, man. You've taught me a lot along the way, and I'm so proud of you and the audibles and pivots you made this year to find your way and uh, keep it going, man. It's been a pleasure to be here. So thank you so much for having me. What an awesome interview that we just had with Greg. I hope that you are as fired up as I am about the level of authenticity and purpose and impact that he brought to the table. It's now time for each of us to make a play. And this will be a constant close to Playmakers where we're going to end each interview with an opportunity to roll our own sleeves up and put a tangible insight from the interview into practice. So Greg unearthed a theme of knowing who you are as a foundation of leadership. And I couldn't agree more. Because from my perspective, the core of leadership is that before you lead others, you must first lead yourself. And self-awareness is one of the greatest lenses that we can have to level up. So what I'd like to do now is introduce a tool straight out of my book, The Power of Playing Offense. The tool is called Your Superpower Assessment. And this assessment is curated to create that self-awareness toward your strengths, toward your talents, and toward your passions. Those things in life that make you uniquely you. In other words, 
They're your superpowers. And we each have them. We just may not be fully aware of it yet. That's where the superpower assessment comes into play. And before we dive in, I just want a quick call out that you will see a link to the assessment in the show notes. So feel free to check it out while it's fresh and top of mind as soon as you close out on this episode. Let's quickly establish an understanding of what do I even mean when I say superpowers and also what should you expect from the experience of unleashing your superpowers? So starting off with strengths, this is how you are hardwired to excel. Some examples are you're a builder, you're a grower, you're a developer, you're a problem solver, maybe you're a planner or a doer or a visionary, or like me, you're the connector, you're the relationship guy or gal. And an example of a question that you're going to dive into is what are you naturally and exceptionally good at? That's strengths. Moving into talents, think of these as your gifts. And one of my favorite questions that you're going to dive into is, what comes especially easy to you? Lastly, your passions. The things in life that get your juices flowing like none other. The question that highlights this so well, what makes you feel alive? That's a sneak peek into the types of questions you'll immerse yourselves in. In terms of logistics, environment is everything. You're going to want to be in a private and calm space where you can fully focus and reflect away from your daily working environment, ideally free of technology. Think of this as a retreat-like setting, only this is a self-retreat just for you. Give yourself at least two hours to fully process, reflect, and notate. The most important part is to transfer what's in your head onto paper. And it all starts by putting time on your calendar to take your superpower assessment. So if you are inspired and committed to know what your superpowers are, then pause this episode and put it on your calendar now. For all of us, as playmakers, here is my ultimate promise to you. Do this assessment of your superpowers, and it will deliver a life of greater clarity and conviction, because you're now going to have a deeper understanding of knowing who you are at your core, what allows you to play to your strengths, what talents and gifts you can begin or continue to build on and what passions you can fully express and bring to the world. Once you have all of this intel in your back pocket, it's then time to bring it to action. And as a closing reminder, all of these details and more can be found linked in the show notes. I can't wait for you and every single member of our Playmaker community to meet me at the 50 and unleash your superpowers. Let's do this. Loved what you just heard? Share it with another Playmaker. And for all of today's show notes, head over to playmakerspod.com 
where you can not only enjoy additional resources from today's show, but all previous episodes as well. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever it is that you get your favorite podcasts. If you gain significant value from today's episode and genuinely feel that you have leveled up, give us a five-star rating. And between now and the next Playmakers episode, let's stay connected. Hit me up on LinkedIn, at Paul Epstein, or Instagram, at Paul Epstein Speaks. Playmakers is produced by Motown Podcast Studios in collaboration with Purpose Labs. Wishing you a high-impact week of action and purpose. See you next time on Playmakers. Playmakers.